qualities encountering God. I want to talk to you today about two statements, two proclamations, two declarations of our, of our risen Savior. Two proclamations, two declarations, two statements, two calls of our risen Savior. And two questions that, that change everything, that if you allow them into your heart, will change you completely. They are declarations for you to receive. They're declarations for you to respond to, to take hold of. And there are questions which I pray and I hope in the best possible way that they'll cut deep. <laughs> I pray that they will cut deep. And then we're going to have during the service, slightly different order of service, we're going to have four prayer moments. God is going to move by his presence and power today. So we're gonna have four prayer moments and it's gonna be an opportunity for you to say, okay, that's me, Jesus, I need you. Okay, so it's not an altar call, but it's prayers and responses in relation to these two declarations and these two questions. So context to this, John 20, Jesus has paid the price. He was betrayed, falsely accused. He was flogged, he's beaten, a crown of thorns laid upon his head crucified three o'clock in the afternoon the ninth hour the sky turns black and the sin of the whole world is laid upon him father turns his face away temple veil is torn jesus dies and he conquers sin and death goes down into hell and says he leads captivity captive he redeems those who have died in faith expectance and he and he takes them into the presence of the father he died he went to hell he plundered hell and now on this resurrection Sunday, he's walking and he's appearing to, to, to the woman. He's, he's coming and he's showing himself. And we pick up the story, the risen Christ, revealing himself on Easter Sunday. And although the disciples had heard the testimony of the woman and heard the testimony of, of Peter and John, they don't believe. How many of you believe but don't believe? How many of you say this, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? Okay, so let's, let's pick it up. On the evening of that first day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said to them, peace be with you. Jesus walks through the locked doors, Maybe he walked through the wall, we don't know. But he comes to the disciples, and in the face of their pain and fear and loss and anguish and heartache, he says this, peace be with you. Now, lest you think that Jewish people always greet each other, if you've been to Israel, you'll hear things like bokatov, which means good morning. Sometimes before Shabbos, we'll hear Shabbat Shalom, but Jesus comes and he proclaims peace upon them. And what does that mean? It's the next slide. And he proclaims it three times. Three times he says this. This word means harmony, means wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Won't you take hold of this word of our risen Savior? For your life. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, his word over you is peace. 
which means all these things. This was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. The next verse says this, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's a level of peace, of wholeness, of tranquility, of nothing missing, nothing broken. That is our inheritance in Jesus. He paid the price for it. And doesn't matter what happens to the world, doesn't matter. We can walk and we can live and we can be in a place of wholeness and peace. When he speaks, will you receive it? He spoke it over his disciples and some received it and some didn't. Romans 14 verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God literally means the city or the foundation of peace. The place where God is pleased to dwell is the city of peace. Peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with the world. This is his promise in Matthew. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And so today, for your, for your relationships, single your relationships, married for your marriage, for your studies, for your work, for your kids, for your body, for your mind, for your soul. Will you receive this declaration of Jesus over you? The miracle of peace, of harmony, of wholeness, of tranquility, of nothing missing, nothing broken. Jesus says this in Revelation 3 verse 20, and he's talking to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It was like they'd let him in to some part, but they hadn't let him in completely. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, you've got to open the door and say, Jesus, come into this part, this part where I have nightmares. Lord, come into this part where I live in fear. Come into this part where, where I'm struggling. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he with me, Jesus will come and have sweet, sweet fellowship with you. Who of you have areas where you need the shalom, the peace of God? That peace that Jesus paid for. He has conquered sin and death. Our future for eternity is secured. And we as, as the church this local expression. We want to come around you now. Pastor Andrew, why don't you come up and help me? If, if you hear and you need that wholeness in some part of your heart, your mind, your body, your relationships, we're going to pray for you right now. And those around you are going to put their hands on you. Um, don't, get, don't be scared. They'll just gently put their hands on you. But if you are trusting, if you are needing if you are wanting peace in a particular area and you don't have it, won't you stand to your feet now and we're going to pray for you. There's no shame in this.
There's no shame in it. If there are people standing up around you, just can we be Jesus to them and just, just put our hands on them, just get out of our seat? And we're going to trust right now for the touch of the Holy Spirit. We're going to trust now for wholeness and transformation to come. Father, wherever there is brokenness, you declare nothing broken anymore. Release your healing in every broken part. Wherever there's disharmony, discord, we declare right now, we cut off every assignment, every lie of the enemy. You leave each one of these right now. You go where Jesus sends you. Every assignment of anxiety, worry, disturbing of souls and minds, we cut you off. We yes. You go where Jesus yes. sends you. You will not operate in this church or its members their loved ones, and we release right now, Prince of Peace, release your peace. Holy Spirit, we receive you right now. You are our comforter. You're the bringer of peace. Holy Spirit, come. I want you to just picture yourself taking a fresh breath of his shalom into your soul, into your heart, into your mind right now. Increase, Lord. Name of Jesus. We release right now the peace of the Holy Spirit to flood your heart, mind, and soul. Let His peace dissolve every fear, every worry, every brokenness, every area where things are missing, every place that you need shalom. Right now, His peace dissolves away every lie of the Yes, yes. I declare a shift in their hearts. Yes. I declare the ability to think the thoughts of Jesus, which are always full of shalom. I declare the ability to hear the voice of heaven, which is always shalom. And as we declare after every service, I declare again the prayer you gave to the high priest to pray every time over his people. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his shalom in Jesus' name. Won't you give the Lord a hand? Thanks for what he's done. Amen. Amen. If you didn't stand that time, there's three more opportunities. The disciples. Go back to Galilee. Almost seems like they're going backwards. And we pick up the story in John 21. And they're fishing. And they're doing their old thing. But their old thing doesn't work anymore. And Jesus calls to them. They don't know it's Jesus. They're in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus calls to them. He says, have you got anything? He says, no. He says, throw your net to the other side. I can just imagine these hardened, rough fishermen going like, what? What do you know? What are you talking about? They throw it to the other side, and their net is just bursting and full as we respond to the words of Jesus. And they realize it's Jesus, and Peter rips off his jacket, and he dives into the water, and he swims to the shore. 
there Jesus meets with them. And he prepares a meal. He takes a little bit of their fish, but he gives them a meal. And then he comes face to face with Peter. Remember, Peter has denied the Lord three times. And he begins to restore him. And he puts him back into ministry. And he puts him back into love. And he asked him one question. (laughs) And then he asked him that same question. And again, you know, our faith, our walk is not about legalism, but it's about love. He feeds them, he forgives them, and then he asks this question, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Jesus is relational, (laughs) and we have been made in his image, and we have been made for relationship with him. Deep, meaningful relationship that lasts for eternity. We haven't been made for religion. (laughs) We've been made for relationship. We haven't been made for legalism. We've been made for love. And life is found in receiving his love and loving him in turn. Confession time. There are times when I feel like my love is starting to wane. Where it's starting to not be as fiery. What do I do? I'll tell you as we talk. So the question is, is he first in your affections, your passions, or or do you love other things? Ways to assess whether you you love him. And Jesus is asking Peter, and he's asking me, and he's asking you. Do you long for sweet communion, personal time with Jesus? Do you long for it? Do you find your greatest sense of belonging and, and assurance Priorities of your life determined by your love for Jesus? Or is it other things? Do, the, do all the loves of your life derive from your love for him? Is there anything that you desire more than him and more than his presence? And when you sense your love for Jesus waning or faltering, do you acknowledge it? Do you pray? That's what I do. Jesus, help me. I feel like my heart is growing cold. Come again. Spend time in the words. Spend time in his presence. Spend time with people and they help me. If when you get to heaven, and I pray we all get to heaven, right? Okay, I hope we don't go to the other place. I hope we don't go to hell, okay? If when we all get to heaven and Jesus isn't there, but it's beautiful, will you be disappointed? You should be disappointed (laughs) because... That's the reason why we want to be there. We want to be with the one who loves us and whom we love. In Luke, there's this incredible story of a woman. She's called a sinner who comes into Jesus' presence and she washes his feet with her tears. And then she dries them with her hair. And then she pours this alabaster jar, this perfume, nard, just fills the whole room. And everybody like says, what are you letting her do? What are you letting her touch you for? And, and Jesus says this, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Okay, so let me say that a different way. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. He who has been forgiven little, loves little.
Can I don't put up your hand now? Okay. Who of you feel like you've been forgiven little? If you feel like you've been forgiven little, I'm sorry to say this to you. With all the love in the world, you're wrong, you're deluded, you're missing the point. All of us, all of us have been forgiven much. All of us have been forgiven much. We compare ourselves to our neighbor instead of comparing ourselves to Jesus. And, and as we realize that we've been forgiven much, the response of our heart should be to love much. What do I deserve, Roger? I deserve hell. But I'm so grateful that he paid the price, conquered sin and death on my behalf. The woman had great love because she knew what Jesus had done for her. Where is your heart? When you say you're a Christian, that doesn't mean I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Jew, I'm not Jewish, I'm not an atheist. It means you love Jesus. It means you love Jesus. I want to read, paraphrase a story to you called The Girl with the Rose. There was a soldier, John Blanchard, and he stood up in his uniform and he straightened it out and he, and he looked in the crowd at New York Grand Central Station looking for the woman who he had never met but whom his heart loved, the girl with the rose. He'd met her, inverted commas, 13 months before. He'd taken a book out the Florida Library and he was intrigued as he read this book, as he read the notes in pencil on the side of the book. We're not supposed to write in books, but anyway. And, and the soft, insightful, beautiful commentary that this author made just captured his, his heart. And he went to the front of the book and he found the name of the lady who owned the book. And her name was Miss Hollis Mainwell. With lots of effort, lots of time, he found her address. And he invited her to correspond with him. He was sent off to World War II. And for the next two years, they wrote to each other. And every letter, they started to fall more and more in love with each other. This beautiful romance was budding, although they'd never met face to face. He requested a photograph from her, but she refused. She felt like if he really cared, it didn't, wouldn't matter what she looked like. So when he finally returned from the war, he came back from Europe they scheduled a meeting, 7 p.m., Grand Central Station. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the rose in my lapel. At 7 o'clock, he's looking across the people in Grand Central Station. And he sees this stunning, beautiful woman start walking towards him. Stunning figure, slim, beautiful, hair. Ba- this is he, him writing, okay? Don't judge me now, okay? startling eyes beautiful lips and chin and wearing a pale green suit and it was like springtime when he saw her and he started to move towards her just entirely forgetting that she wasn't wearing a rose and she smiled at him and she said coming my way sailor and he took a step towards her and then, then he went no she doesn't have the rose He looked and he saw behind her a woman well past 50. She had gray hair tucked under a worn hat. 
She was more than a little plump. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away. And he felt like he was being split in two. So keen was his desire to follow the girl in the green suit. Yet so deep was his longing for this woman who'd truly become his deepest friend, his companion. And there she stood before him. Her plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a kindly twinkle in them. He didn't hesitate. His fingers gripped the book which was to identify him. He went up to her. He thought it wouldn't be love, but it would be something more precious. Something even better than love. A friendship for which he had been and must be forever grateful. He squared his shoulders, he saluted her, and he held out the book to the woman, even as he felt like choking with disappointment. <laughs> he said, I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Mainwell. I'm so glad to meet you. Can I take you for dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile, and she says, I get all emotional when I read the story. I don't know what this is about, son, but the young lady in the green suit who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said, if you were to ask me out to dinner, I should go and tell her that she's waiting for you in the big restaurant. She said it was some kind of test. It's not difficult to understand and admire Miss Manuel's wisdom. For the true heart of love is seen in its response to what is seemingly unattractive. Tell me who you love, and I will tell you who you are. Do you love me? Jesus asked, or do you love the world? Why do we love? We love because he first loved us. And, and the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the message to the church, another church in the book of Revelation, Ephesians, sorry, the church in Ephesus, was to return to their first love. They were a church, but they'd lost their first love. This is what Jesus says. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, have found them to be false. You have persevered and you've endured for my sake, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Can we bring our hearts before the Lord? Can we pray where, where we feel like our love has grown cold? If that's you, we're going to pray together. This week has challenged me. So I'm standing. I'm saying, Lord, I want to love you more. So if you, want to, if you want to come before Jesus and say, Lord, renew my love. I want to love you more. Help me, Lord. Then once you stand, as Pastor Carol leads us in prayer.
es.
our love for you, but in that doing, will you come and fill our hearts with the emotion, the passion, the delight in you that never runs dry? Let us every day see you more clearly. Let us be so grateful for who you are. Thank you, Lord. We choose you thinking you one thing, and then we see that you're so much more. Mm. Yes, Lord. So much more. Every day, let our eyes be unveiled more and more to see the beauty of who you are. Let us not be distracted by the things of the world. Let us not be distracted by the shininess of the deceptiveness of sin, Lord God. Let us stay focused on the beauty of who you are. Amen. May all of our lives be consecrated to you. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. I'm going to adjust the last declaration and the last question. I'll combine if you want to respond to them. So Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responds, says, yes, Lord, you know that I love me. You know that I love you. And then he says this to him, follow me. <laughs> follow me. Jesus is saying, from here on out, it's not enough just to have it in your heart. But let your life show the love that you have for me. You know, I found this out in marriage. It wasn't good enough for me just to tell Nicola that I loved her. She really appreciated when I did things that my life showed that I love her. God wants to take us with our heart of love and with our heart of peace and transform us that we are no longer passengers. But we're no longer consumers, but we become disciples of Jesus Christ. We become at one with him on a great mission. That we don't just feel, but we do what is in our heart. So Jesus says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. You know what that's talking about? Talking about crucifixion. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He said it, he said it to him multiple times. The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German martyr under the Nazis. He said this, he said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without the church. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus Christ. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of which a man will go after it and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price which the merchant sells everything to go after. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his own eye if it causes him to stumble. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought after again and again. Costly grace is the grace that calls us to follow. It is the grace which calls us to follow after Jesus. 
It is costly because it costs his life. And it's costly because it costs our life. And costly grace ultimately is the incarnation of God. As revealed in Christ Jesus and in our lives in walking in the footsteps of Jesus. That we are called to become like him. Remember what Paul wrote in Philippians? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's saying, okay, if I'm going to be here, then I'm all in for Jesus. But if I die, hallelujah, every tear is taken away. But if I'm here, then for me to live is Christ. Then I say yes to follow. Jesus said this in Matthew, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Said a different way in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Having been loved, having been forgiven, having received the peace of God, having declared your love for him, will you now live out your life? Whatever the cost might be, whatever he calls you to do. I'm so moved by the story of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember their story? The king calls to them and says, is it true that you're not buying down? And they say, oh, king, we're not careful in answering you. Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not buy down. What kind of Christian are you? Are you a only if you do kind of Christian? Or even if you don't? Even if you don't. I will serve you, I will worship you, I will love you, and I will not bow down. Are you in, only if you meet me on my terms, God, only if you answer my prayers exactly the way I want it to be, and only if you do these things, or are you in, even if you don't, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. The final question that, that Jesus asks is, Jesus, having said that to Peter, Peter sees John behind, and he says, and, and what about him? <laughs> you know, thanks for reinstating me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for asking if I love you. Thank you for this call. You're telling me how I'm going to die. But what about him? So, man, Jesus gave me a touch across the head once. <laughs> I just, I remember the moment. I know none of you have ever done this, but I was like obsessing about somebody who had just treated me so badly. And I was like stalking them on Facebook and uh, I didn't want to pray for them because I didn't want them to be blessed. I wanted them to be judged. I know you've never prayed those prayers, okay? I'll never be invited back after this confession. And God takes me to this passage in scripture. And he says to me, what is it to you? What is it to you? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. When he said, Lord, is he going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? 
This is what trips up so-called mature Christians. Envy, pride, jealousy, offense, indignation, obsession, stalking. It's like, why do they get that? And I get this. And Jesus doesn't answer him. He just says, you follow me. Can we stop being proud because we're comparing ourselves to others and think we're so good and they're so mediocre or whatever? Or can we stop being discouraged by those who've got more gifts and I'm a one-gift person, they're a five-gift person? Can we stop living in offense and indignation at what happens to other people's lives? And we, can we say, I'm going to follow Jesus? My eyes... In that moment, I remember when it happened, I was in like a licensing department. It was like I was watching this, this guy more than I was watching Jesus. You ever been in that place? You're watching other people, you know? You're seeing how your husband is. You're seeing how your wife is. You're seeing how your pastor is. Instead of having eyes on Jesus and following after him. So I had to, I had to repent. And it was liberating. It was beautiful. It was free. It enabled me to follow after him. Okay, so the call now, the call at the end. It's not a salvation call. But it's a call to say, Lord, I'm all in. Lord, help me be all in, but I'm all in. I know as I say that, you're like, yeah, yeah, how do I know I'll be all in? The Spirit of God will come upon you. God will meet you according to your faith. Will you answer the call to be a disciple and not a consumer? Not a church attendee, but being part of that beautiful, vibrant church that carries the sword of God and goes out and changes the world. Will you commit to no longer being distracted by pastors and leaders who do crazy things? Not these pastors and leaders. Let me hasten to add, you've got incredible leaders here. But those other ones that seem to give you an excuse for you not being all in for Jesus. I'm not expecting us all to stand. But if you're saying, I will be a disciple, I'll be a disciple who makes disciples. I'll be somebody who goes. I'll be a, whether or not you give it to me or not, Lord, I will serve you. And by standing, we're just going to pray for grace to live out that commitment. Won't you stand with me, please?